Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Steve Freeman podcast. Today's awesome episode is brought to you by my friends at Performance Inspired. It's pi-nutrition.com. Live a more healthy and active lifestyle with Performance Inspired's line of natural, nutritional lifestyle products for men and women. Now, you may have heard me talk about it in the past. Uh, Performance Inspired was founded by my friends, Tom Dowd, and the actor, producer, uh, work at, Mark Wahlberg does it all. Uh, but I also know how important nutrition and all natural products are to Mark. That's why he and Tom uh, paired up, got together, and and founded Performance Inspired. I have been using Performance Inspired products, whether it's the whey protein shakes in the morning to keep me feeling full, uh, to give me all the vitamins and nutrients that I need. I also take the whole grain multivitamin every morning. Something else that I also take when I want to shed some of the pounds, but I want to do it in a healthy way, um, is the Performance uh, Diet and Energy All-Day Metabolic Support Tablets. Uh, it supports diet and energy. It gives you an increase in stamina and focus without giving you all those jitters uh, that you get a lot of times. I do not like a lot of products that make you feel real antsy. They make your heart race. Uh, the performance inspired products do not do that. But you do get the benefit of the huge metabolic booster. Uh, plus, it's uh, also got uh, Garcinia, Chromium, and a Citraline in it. And right now, they have it on sale for $19.99 a bottle. It's originally $27.99. But then you also get an additional 10% off when you enter code Steve at checkout. So start living a more healthy and active lifestyle, whether you're wanting to shed some pounds after COVID, or I guess we're still in the middle of this damn COVID thing. But uh, if you still want to try to start living a healthier lifestyle, lose some of the weight, I highly recommend based on my personal experience, the products from Performance Inspired Nutrition. Go to pi-nutrition.com right now, enter code Steve at checkout, and you're going to get 10%. Off. That's pi-nutrition.com. We're also brought to you by artistdevelopmentacademy.com, where if you are a singer, songwriter, artist, producer, engineer, you want to take your career to the next level, but you want to do it the right way. No bullshit, no BS, just do it the right way. Learn how to do these things yourself. Quit paying all of these other people to do all these services for you when you can learn the skill, apply it to your career, and do it yourself all the while learning from hit songwriters, multi-platinum selling, Grammy-nominated and winning producers, um, industry insiders. Learn from the best. You can do that with an all-access membership to the Artist Development Academy. Matter of fact, we just launched a brand new course the other day, YouTube for Musicians. Everything you need to know to get your career started on YouTube, to monetize, to get your... We even give you the secrets of how to get verified on YouTube to make your channel an official artist channel on YouTube, how to run ads, the budgets that you need, the equipment that you need, everything you need to know to take your career to the next level through using YouTube. Some powerful information in that course. It's available to our members right now. And members, when you join, when you get your all-access membership, all members get uh, the all-access passes to all of our existing line of Library of Online courses. 
Plus, you get a brand new course every single month. You get access to the members only forum where you can meet co-writers and collaborators. You can ask a pro. You can uh, post your music uh, for feedback or your videos for feedback. We are there to help you. We are there to give you the information, guidance, and access you need to take your career in music to the next level. Go check it out at artistdevelopmentacademy.com. You can get a membership for $19 a month. $19 a month, actually. At checkout, when you enter code Steve, you get 30% off. So you get it for like $13 a month. And that's basically nothing compared to the value that you're going to get with your all-access membership with ArtistDevelopmentAcademy.com. Don't forget, when you head over there, there's links in the show notes. You don't have to worry about typing everything out. Just click the links in the show notes and you can find it right there. Enter code Steve at checkout and get 30% off your all-access membership at Artist Development Academy. Dot com. Well, in the wake of COVID, there are no links, I'm almost positive. There are no depths too far that the music business will go to screw artists. Uh, we've been documenting for years the, the absolute fucking of songwriters, and it's not going to stop there. Now, they're after the artists themselves. We're going to talk about Live Nation and how they want artists to take pay cuts and cancellation burdens for shows in 2021 due to the COVID-19 pandemic. We're going to talk about that. The Dixie Chicks are dropping the Dixie and so much more. It's all ahead today in the Steve Freeman Podcast. You're listening to the Steve Freeman Podcast, the real raw truth about the pursuit of success in music, business, and life. Here's your host, hit songwriter, multi-platinum selling producer, and serial entrepreneur, Steve Freeman. You gotta go get you some official Steve Freeman Podcast merch. The merch store is available now. Uh, You can find the links to everything you need to find, plus the brand new merch store right there in the show notes. You can also go to my website, thestevefreeman.com, click on store or shop. I don't remember which one it fucking says. I'm sorry, I don't remember. And I'm not going to look it up right here in the middle of the podcast. But go to my website, you'll find it there. Um, I know it's there for sure. When you go to thestevefreeman.com, then click on podcast, there's a merch button down there, you can get it. Brand new merch. We had a brand new line. And it's really super cool. It's my no bull line. So you know what the podcast stands for. It's no bullshit. It's real raw truth. We got awesome, really cool design t-shirts, tank tops for girls and women. We've got hats. Um, I specifically made them make a camouflage hat because I wanted one. So I hope you want one too. You can check that out uh, there as well. Plus a cool coffee mug that I, I cannot wait to get it in myself. If I did, I'd have it sitting right here but it's not in yet. But go check out the very cool line of merch. It's all extremely high quality. I didn't go with any of that Gildan bullshit. You know, the stuff that can stand on in the corner by itself. You know, it's like, it's, I didn't go with any of that. This is soft. It, it, it's, it holds its color really, really well, and it'll last as long as you want. So it's, it's, it's awesome. Go check it out if you want. Uh, if you do buy something out of the merch store, uh, please make sure that you post wearing it or using it on Instagram or another social media platform, and I will share your post. Um, and I'll put it on my Instagram feed and my Instagram story. So be sure and tag me at the Steve Freeman uh, if you do buy something out of the store so that I can share that and use that uh, on my social media as well. I'd love to, to see you wearing it. Um, now that we got that out of the way, uh, what I wanted to talk about today was this whole deal with Live Nation. I, I don't know if you've seen this or not yet. I, I mean, I'm sure you probably have, but 
this is getting insane. Um, Our world is turning upside down. Um, Live Nation sent out a memo to all of their talent agents, talent buyers. Uh, It it went to record labels as well. Um, And a lot of different artists management. We own an artist management company, Empire Artist Agency. So we got it because we represent some artists uh, that had to cancel some shows and and are planning more tours. Um, And this memo, it it just it, it, it there is nothing, no other way to describe it than to say that this is absolutely screwing the artist and Live Nation is trying to find a way to make the money back that they've lost on 2020 uh, to make that and start recouping that back. Now, I'm all for anybody in a capitalistic society. I am all for anybody trying to make their money back. I don't want anybody to go broke. I don't want anybody to to lose their business. I don't care if it's a pizza joint or if you're a, a platinum selling artist and you you count on providing for your family through performing at fairs and festivals and concerts. I don't want anybody to go broke. But evidently, Live Nation has no problem with you going broke. Um, there was a, a the I saw a lot of different stories on this. The best one that I thought covered it. Um, in its entirety and really got to the heart of the subject uh, was an article written for Rolling Stone magazine by Samantha Hissong. Um, and it was really good. I encourage you to go look it up. I'm going to read you the entire memo that Live Nation sent out to the different talent buyers, agents and management companies. Um, but I want to give you a sense of what really is going on. And in this article, it says that a, a memo And of course, this article is coming from Rolling Stone Um, in this memo obtained by Rolling Stone uh, Live Nation cites unprecedented times and the exponential rise of certain costs as reasons for adjusting payment policies. Now, this is going to get interesting. It really is going to get interesting. And I've got something going on with my eyes today. I don't know what the hell's going on. So I can't keep my eyes open. Um. The article goes on to say there's there's still no telling when the music venues will be able to reopen their doors to large crowds of concert goers and Live Nation, the largest live events company in North America, is making changes seemingly in reaction to the uncertainty. In a recent memo obtained by Rolling Stone, the company told its talent partners that it plans to make an array of alterations for concerts and festivals held in 2021. Now, most of the new policies shift financial burdens to artists. Here's where you want to start listening. Like, for example, the company wants to uh, decrease the monetary guarantees promised to artists before an event by 20% across the board. 20%. Live Nation also says that if a concert is canceled due to poor ticket sales, it will give the artists 25% of the guarantee, and that is opposed to the normal 100%. So, you know, a, a, a promoter uh, pays an artist up front. Uh, for, well, they normally pay a deposit um, and then they get paid after the show. But what this is saying is that even if the promoter doesn't sell enough tickets, they will only have to give the artist 25 percent of their guarantee as opposed to the normal 100 percent. It's not the artist's fault that people didn't buy tickets to the show. That's something that I, I really believe in. That, and that is. That is at the highest level, but I also believe that's true at its lowest level. I And even with club owners and venues, it is always my belief that I don't think the burden of bringing people in should be on the artist on the stage. If the venue wants to pay a, an act to come in 
and play on their stage. It is all, it is the responsibility of the venue and the club owner or the promoter to do what they have to do to make sure people walk through the door. And most of the time, they don't want to spend that money. The venues do not want to spend that money. They want to get an act up on that stage for as little as humanly possible. Nothing if they can. But if they are laying out any money whatsoever, they want that money to be as small amount as humanly possible. And then they want the artist to do all the work. They want the artist to get on social media and make sure that people come to the show. They want all the heavy lifting has to be done on the artist. I don't believe in that. I think that the heavy lifting and the responsibility is on the venue, on the promoter. They don't want to do radio advertising. They don't want to do TV advertising. They don't want to spend any money because they're in the business of making money. And I get that, but I'm sorry, I'm old school. I think if you want people to walk into your business, it is your job to do the advertising and do whatever it takes, do the marketing necessary to make sure people know what is going on at your venue so that they may want to come. That to me is on the venue owner. It's not on the artist. But now under these new rules from Live Nation, if a promoter buys a show and that show gets canceled, Due to low performing ticket sales, instead of still having to pay the performer like like you would normally do 100 percent, they now want to pay 25 percent. So they want to pay a quarter. What, What I'm afraid this is going to do is because people have been bound up, locked up in this quarantine, people are going to go nuts when we're fine. They're finally able and they say things like, "Okay." Go fucking buck wild. We, we're not worried about coronavirus anymore. It's business as usual. Go back to your normal life. What's going to happen now under this rule is that promoters are going to go out and start buying shows that they can't pay for. They're going to go start booking artists and paying a small deposit uh, to get big names to their venue that they might not have ever had. And now, because there's a very, there's only a 25% outage or loss if you can't sell enough tickets to put that to make sense to make that concert a reality. This is going to really bite artists in the ass. It really is. Because now they're not on the hook. If they don't sell enough tickets, they only have to pay the artist a quarter of what they were going to have to pay them before. Moving on, if an artist cancels a performance... In breach of the agreement, the artist will pay the promoter two times the artist's fee. Let that sink in. If an artist cancels a show. Now, it does not say in here because of bad health or acts of God. It doesn't say anything. It just says if an artist cancels a performance, cancels a show. The artist will pay the promoter two times the artist's fee. Let's say you've got, I'm not even going to name anybody, but let's just say you have got artist X. And artist X, for whatever reason, charges $100,000 for a show. That's the fee. Um, you And that artist X has to cancel the show. The artist will then be responsible for paying the promoter, the venue owner, whoever purchased the show. They will be responsible for paying that promoter $200,000 for canceling the show. That, my friends, is unheard of in the industry. Now, I know some of you may be out there and you may be listening and you may be saying, well, Steve, I mean, I'm not with Live Nation. I'm not I'm not anywhere near that level. Shit rolls downhill, people. 
it rolls down the fucking hill. You're going to start seeing smaller venues practice these exact same standards. I guarantee you. So let's say you're supposed to get $250 for performing down here at the local venue. Well, if they if you cancel that, I'm telling you, they are going to start treating this as if it's law. What's going to happen when you're the artist that gets paid $250 and you have to cancel? Are you now going to owe that that bar, that club, that venue $500 because you canceled the show? This is where it's going. If this is allowed to continue and artists operate under this new Live Nation agreement, this is where it's going to go. It's going to go all the way from the top. It's going to go all the way down to the bottom. And I'm telling you right now, it will affect you. It most definitely will affect you. This is unheard of in the music industry. Unheard of. Now, Live Nation did make a comment. They said, we are fully aware of the significance of these changes. And we did not make these changes without serious consideration. That is what they put in their statement. Rolling Stone reached out for a a comment and they did not respond. I want to to put this in there because this is in the article. Um, It says a source close to the matter tells Rolling Stone that some of the terms detailed in the memo are standard in existing concert contracts prior to the pandemic, and that the new aspects are part of a broader negotiation with the music industry to navigate the post-COVID future when shows get back up and running. Now, in a minute, I'm going to read you the entire memo to talent agencies, the one that we got, Rolling Stone got, everybody else got it. I'm going to read it to you in its entirety. You need to know what's in it, because it's like I said, shit rolls downhill. And this, this is going to affect you. Yes, some of these things are in individual contracts. You've heard me say this many times. There is no one standard contract. I get asked all the time, what about this contract? What about what's standard? There is no standard. None. There has always been a penalty if an artist cancels a show. Always. But it's never been paying the venue twice what their fee was. Never. The last thing in the world, an artist, any artist, whether it's the, the, the guy or the girl, the band getting paid 50 bucks to play down on Broadway, or it's uh, the biggest artist at the top of the game. None of you want to cancel a show. And, and I will tell you that, that if you get yourself into a situation where you have to cancel a show, I don't know how many of you, even the big artists, they, they don't have the kind of money just laying around. They can go around paying venues twice what their fee is. This could literally kill the live music industry as if COVID hasn't done a good job enough. It's like COVID took one of your fucking legs and now it's like Live Nation's doing their best to cut the other leg out. And I understand, like I said earlier, they're trying to make some money back. But when business gets back to usual, business gets back to usual. And, you know, when you have a loss, it shouldn't be the artist's job to cover that loss. I've even heard record labels in the last two or three months that are approaching artists signed to the record label, trying to get them to renegotiate their record deals because of some of the money that the record labels have lost because most artists have a 360 deal with their record label. That means the art, the, the record label is participating in a portion of merch, live concert sales, publishing, um, record sales, they, they get a piece of everything. It's 360 degrees, meaning that the label shares in every aspect of your, your business. 
of your name, your brand. They get a piece of everything. It is very uncommon for an artist not to have a 360 deal these days. Well, when a label is getting a piece of your live performance revenue and your merch, which both things have absolutely become non-existent because of the virus, the record labels are not making that money. Record labels do not like not making money. They are not in the music promotion business. They are not in the fame business. They are not in the passion business. They are in the business of making money. They sign artists that they can make money with. So when they're not making money, they're looking for ways. So I have heard because of us owning a management company, I have heard and talked directly with record labels that want to renegotiate their artist contracts to try to make up some of that lost revenue. I want to read you this entire memo from Live Nation because it is so one-sided that it's not even funny. We all know, we've talked about it, and we, we revisit this topic quite a bit on just what a shitty fucking business the music business is, the entertainment business overall. I don't know why any of us are in it. Maybe we should all go find something else to do. We really should, in all honesty. We should be looking for something else to do with our lives. Maybe we'll do a podcast episode on that. What can we all do now? But I think it's important to see how these big companies view those of us in the entertainment business. So let's take a look at the actual memo. This is verbatim. I'm reading the memo directly. The global pandemic has changed the world in recent months and with it, the dynamics of the music industry. We are in unprecedented times and most adequately account for the shift in market demand, the exponential rise of certain costs and the overall increase of uncertainty that materially affects our mission. In order for us to move forward, we must make certain changes to our agreements with the artists. The principal changes for 2021 are outlined below. As it relates to artist guarantees, artist guarantees will be adjusted downward 20% from 2020 levels. That means now they want artists, the money that artists are guaranteed, that's going to be cut by 20%. Okay, keep that in mind. Ticket prices. Ticket prices are set by the promoter at the promoter's sole discretion and are subject to change. Meaning that even though we're going to pay the artist 20% less, we are not going to make ticket sellers sell tickets for less money. They're still going to be allowed to sell. And I'm telling you right now, mark my words, I am a prophet. If you think ticket prices were expensive in 2019, just wait till you go to a concert in 2021. Because all these venues are going to make their money back too. You're going to be anxious and antsy. You want to get out to a show. You're going to buy these tickets no matter what they sell them for. But the artists are going to have to take 20% less. Payment terms. Artists will receive a deposit of 10% one month before the festival, contingent on an executed agreement and fulfillment of marketing responsibilities. The balance minus standard deductions for taxes and production costs will be paid after the performance. So now I know, I know a lot of artists, their contract calls for 50% up front. Some of them call for 25% up front. Again, there is no standard agreement. But now the artist will only receive 
10%. So are you following? Are you, are you doing the arithmetic here? So they're only going to get 10% up front on a show that could be canceled on either side of the coin. This is, this is getting ridiculous. Let's talk about minimum marketing requirements. All artists will be required to assist in marketing of the festival through minimum social media posting requirements outlined in the artist's offer. Now, in every single contract that I have ever reviewed, that I've ever negotiated, whether it is for a feature on a song, whether it's for a show, no matter what it is, we always negotiate social media posts from the artist. That's that's just a given. Um, the artist should want to promote their own shows. And let's face it, 90% of successful artists do not do their own social media. They have a social media team that handles all of this. But now there will be minimums inside those contracts that say, okay, the artist has to promote or post something about this specific show 15 times within this date range of the show, which should be being done. But now there's going to be minimums set. Streaming requirements. Now, get this is another big one. All artists will be required to allow their performances to be filmed by the festival for use in a live television broadcast, a live webcast, on-demand streaming, and or live satellite radio broadcast. Now, this is a little tricky because if you are the artist and you've said, I'm charging $25,000 for this show and you're getting your $25,000, is now the venue going to be able to sell access beyond those ticket sales, beyond the live people that are showing up that the artist themselves is getting paid the $25,000 to perform to. So now the artist is going to get paid their $25,000, but apparently, according to this, the venues are now going to have the ability to sell e-tickets. Does the artist get any of those e-ticket sales? Because they're getting paid to play that venue. This is a very slippery slope that now you as the artist have to give permission for all of your shows to be filmed and recorded and used for a live webcast, on-demand streaming, live satellite radio broadcast. It's going to be automatically in the contract. That has always been a separate thing. For any, any contract for an artist that I've ever negotiated, that has always been extra. That is not included in what we charge for the artist to roll up in a bus with their production and they get out and they play. If you want to stream this, it costs extra. If you want to use the rights to this performance, that costs extra. Now, it's all going to be rolled into one, into the contract that if you as the performer want to play on this stage, you're going to have to sign the rights for allowing us to sell e-tickets, to stream this, how they're going to pay that and monetize that. Is that ever going to get back to the artist or is a piece? I'm telling you, this is an absolute fucking of the artist. As far as billing, all decisions regarding festival billing are at the sole discretion of the promoter. Do you see how Live Nation is protecting the promoters here? They are protecting the venues. They are protecting the promoters. They are not protecting the artists. Live Nation is supposed to be on the side of the artist. They are not on the side of the artist. 
Every single thing that we've talked about so far has been putting a blanket and coat of protection around the venue and around the promoter. Artists, you're going to make less money. Artists, if you have to cancel a show, you're going to have to pay the promoter two times what your normal fee is. And by the way, we're going to give the promoter the rights to stream and sell e-tickets and all of this other stuff. It is all one-sided to protect the venue. Get this on merchandising. Purchaser, meaning the promoter, will retain 30% of artist merchandise sales and send 70% to the artist within two weeks following the festival. Now, any of you that have ever toured on any extensive level, most of you know most venues that you play, they do take a piece of your merch sales. Uh, not all of them. I've, I've noticed in the last couple of years, a lot of venues will work with the artist and go, look, we know you're not out here making any fucking money. We know that a lot of times the, the money that it's going to get you from where you are tonight to the place you're playing tomorrow night, all of that money is going to come from the merch table. And we don't want to take that away from you. I mean, the artists aren't getting a piece of the venue's alcohol sales, are they? So why should the venue get a piece of your merch sales? But they are, again, taking steps to protect and solidify the relationship with the concert promoters and not the artist. So now the promoter or the purchaser of the show will get 30% of the artist's merchandise sales. It's no longer up for negotiation. Now it's 30%. Airfare and accommodations, these expenses will be the responsibility of the artist. No longer, I guess, will you be able to negotiate and say, hey, we want $10,000 plus airfare. No, the airfare is now on you. Are you seeing how deep they are trying to dig into the back pockets of artists? And again, I said it earlier, I'm going to say it again. This is going to go, it's going to start at the top and it's going to roll downhill. You're going to start seeing this in your local venue. They're going to start adopting these policies. Now, this is something that has been in every contract as well that I've ever negotiated. But let's look at radius clause. A violation of radius clause without the festival's prior authorization in writing will, at the festival's sole discretion, result in either a reduction of the artist fee or the removal of the artist from the event with any pre-event deposits returned to the festival immediately. Again, protecting the venue. I mean, I don't know, guys. I, I, I really, I just, I don't know. For those of you that don't know what a radius clause is, and, and I understand this, I get this, because uh, you do want, when you've got a venue, you've got a club or a festival or whatever, and they are doing their job properly, um, and they are advertising, they're marketing, they're getting the word out of, uh, that you're going to be there and you're going to be performing and they're selling ticket sales based on you being there. What a radius clause is, is it, it basically states, and, and it can be many different numbers of miles, but what it is, is that you as an artist sign agreement in that contract that basically says that you will not perform within X amount of number of miles within X amount of days from that concert. So like, let's put it in local terms here in Nashville, okay? Uh, when an artist plays Nashville, Inside their radius clause agreement in the contract, what it says is that, okay, I will not play Nashville on Friday night and then play uh, Chattanooga 
on Tuesday night. They're too close together. Somebody could make the decision that, well, maybe I don't want to go to the Nashville show. Um, I want to go to the Chattanooga show. Um, And a lot of times it can be 100 miles, 150 miles, uh, whatever the venue feels is fair, especially when you've got larger states with with larger cities that are closer together. I mean, you look at Tennessee, you've got Memphis that's two hours away. You've got um, Knoxville that's two, two and a half hours away. Um, So a lot of times when you look at major artists touring, what you'll see is they may be in Memphis and then you go, oh, well, the next night they'll probably be in Nashville. No, what you typically see is that an artist will be in Memphis on like Thursday. They'll go to St. Louis on Friday, and then they're in Nashville on Saturday. So it's not always like a Memphis, Nashville, Knoxville thing because of the radius clause. And I get it. I understand it. If I was a venue owner or a promoter and I had paid all this money for this show or this festival and we were putting out hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars in marketing to get people here, I would not want to know that the night before or the night after my show, that the artist was somewhere else that was within the, the, you know, logical vicinity of choosing that the average ticket buyer would go, well, I'm not going to go to Nashville. I'm going to go over to, you know, wherever. So I get that. And I understand that's pretty typical in most, in most contracts. And it's, it's a concept that most artists get. When it comes to insurance, the artist is required to maintain its own cancellation insurance as the promoter is not responsible for the artist's fee in the event of a cancellation of the festival due to weather or a force of mature. So, again, the artist is now responsible for taking out cancellation insurance, which some of them do, some of them don't. You can buy insurance for anything in the world you want now, by the way. Literally anything you want. Uh, so, I mean, if I were an artist, especially if it was an outdoor show, um, I would probably buy cancellation insurance anyway, just in case. Because the, the promoter is not going to be responsible uh, for paying you if it's a cancellation due to weather. There are a lot of different things. Some of you new artists out there that are listening, are you, are you getting, I've always preached and talked about just how extremely important the business side of the music business is. And there is so much more business than there is music. This is giving you a little foray into the business side of live performance. These are all things that you have to account for. We talked a little bit about it, but in the actual memo, cancellation by artist. If an artist cancels its performance in breach of the agreement, the artist will pay the promoter two times the artist fee. We talked about that. Cancellation due to poor sales. If a show is canceled due to poor ticket sales, the artist will receive 25% of the guarantee. Not 100% the way that they've normally uh, been done. It's not the artist's fault if, if, if they don't sell. Again, I don't think it's the artist's fault if ticket sales aren't great. To me, that's the venue not doing their job. Well, now the venue gets off the hook at the tune of 75% because they only have to pay the artist 25% if they cancel a show due to uh, poor ticket sales. Uh, force me here. For those that don't know what that means, it's if an artist's performance is canceled due to an event of force majeure, including a pandemic similar to COVID-19, the promoter will not pay the artist its fee. 
the artist is responsible for obtaining any cancellation insurance for its performances. Now, what this is doing, this is setting up a protection for the venue owners in case we have a relapse of COVID-19 in the spring, summer, and fall of next year. That's what this is all about. I don't think it's looking towards anything else or having anything to do with anything else. This is they're looking at 2020 and they're going, holy shit, this could happen again. And it could happen again in the year that we want to get the business back up and running. So that's what this is all about. Um, furthermore, from their uh, statement, inability to use full capacity of the venue. Now, listen to this. If the promoter, either because of orders of the venue or any governmental entity, is not permitted to use the full capacity of the venue, then the promoter may terminate the agreement and artist will refund any money previously paid. What that means to me, and I could be wrong, but what that means to me is it goes back to poor ticket sales. This is going to give the promoters an out if, for whatever reason, they look at the capacity of a venue and they're not able to use the entire space to sell tickets. Then they will be able to cancel the show and the artist will have to refund any money previously paid, meaning the 10% that was put down 30 days before the show that we talked about earlier or any other deposit of any other amount of money. This is going to give the promoters an out to not have to pay that 25% if they cancel the show due to poor ticket sales. There again, it is just another protection for the venue owner. Here is the final paragraph in this statement from Live Nation, this memo. It says, we are fully aware of the significance of these changes. And we did not make these changes without serious consideration. We appreciate you and all artists understanding the need for us to make these changes in order to allow the festival's business to continue not only for the artists and the producers, but also for the fans. This is all about money, folks. The music business is all about money. You guys seem to constantly challenge me on the fact that the music business is about music. The music business has nothing to do with music. The entertainment business has nothing at all to do with entertainment. The music is a product. The entertainment value is a product. The movie is a, is a product. The magazine is a product. They are only products designed, built, manufactured, and marketed to sell, uh, to sell and make money. That's their sole existence. So when you wonder why people seemingly don't care about your music, they don't care about what it is, they don't. Their level of care comes into fact when it's whether or not they can make money from it. So a lot of you, when you send demos into record labels or you send songs into publishing companies and they say no, they're not saying no to your songs. They're not saying no to you as an artist. What they're saying is, we don't feel like we can make money with this as it is right now. So you can feel free to take that personal if you want, but the truth of the matter is, they just don't see the opportunity to make money. I think that if you start to think about things that way, 
and you realize that this is a business first. I know it's music business, but it really should be the other way around because the business always becomes comes before the music. It should be business music. The business will always come first. The business is always more important than the creative that it's supporting. I know it's hard to think about things in that term, but you cannot look at this article from Rolling Stone or read this memo from Live Nation without seeing they don't really care about the artist. It is all about making money. They also know, and I said briefly earlier, but they also know that people are sick and tired and fed up with being stuck in their houses and not being able to go to shows, not being able to go to concerts, that when things do get back to normal, everybody's going to be going to concerts. I think people that probably have not ever really been considered a quote-unquote concert goer are probably going to be going to concerts just to get out of the fucking house and have somewhere to go. Live Nation's going to make sure that you pay a premium for that. And in the process of doing that and trying to make their money back and make even more money, they're willing to, to hurt the artist at whatever level they need to to make sure that the venues are protected, the promoters are protected, and their business is protected. I think it's a slippery slope. You read things like this, and everybody's looking for hope. Everybody's looking for things to get back to normal. But if things like this are allowed to happen, and artists operate under agreements like this, is this really normal? Or are we creating some sort of new normal? Where the powers that be, again, make even more money. You know, you hear all the time stories from the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s about, you know, record labels screwing over artists, and it still happens today. But a lot of times it's done in the shadows. And most of the time, even though they know they're getting screwed, artists continue because they want the deal. They want the record deal. They want that makes them feel special. So they are willing to be screwed and, and, and do it, almost accept it and welcome it with warm arms and open arms because it gives them something they feel is valuable and that's that record label attached to their name. But this is starting to come out of the shadows. Now this is, we are going to screw you. And here are the 15 different ways that we're going to screw you. So we know all of you artists have lost a tremendous amount of income. I was talking to... Um, an artist last week, a good friend of mine, one of the biggest artists in country music. And he was telling me roughly the amount of money that he's lost in 2020. And it was staggering. Absolutely staggering. I understand that the venues have lost money. I understand that Live Nation has lost money. But why is it okay? And this seems to be the practice all the time. Why is it always okay for the artist to continue to lose money? But when the business side starts to lose money, then it's whoa, 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 Nelly. Pull on those reins. We got to stop for a second. And the equation for riding the ship and turning things around is always for the artist to take less. 
There, there, there was never any consideration with the venues and Live Nation of going, hey, we've lost money, but we also know that the artists that we pay that we depend on to bring people to our venues has probably lost more money than we have. They've certainly lost more money individually. We need to do everything we can do to help get those artists back on their feet so that they can afford to come out and play our venue. Why is that never in the equation? It's always feel sorry for the business. The venues have lost money. The promoters have lost money. Well, guess what? The artists have lost money too. And I'm sure somewhere smarter heads could have prevailed and gotten together and come up with a solution for both sides, for both sides to make more money and to recoup losses and make back some of what everyone has lost during this pandemic. But instead of doing that, what we get is a memo from Live Nation basically saying, fuck you. If you want to play a venue, these are the rules. We don't care that you've lost money. We don't care that this show could cost you money. We just simply don't care. We're in the business of making money. If you want to help us make money, great. If not, stay home. And that's sad to me. But the one thing that I've always noticed throughout the entirety of my career is that transparency in this business starts to become really transparent when money gets lost. You know, a lot of these companies and corporations have boards and silent partners. Well, silent partners stay silent until they're losing money. And then a silent partner gets really, really loud really, really quickly. I just hope that we can somehow get back to normal. I I have nothing against the venues making money. I have nothing against the artists making money. I have nothing against Live Nation making money. I just get a little worn out and tired with the same old, same old, that the, the cost of the business making money is always at the expense of the artist. It's always at the expense of the songwriter. It's always at the expense of the person creating that which the business needs to thrive. The business never suffers. The business really, over time, never takes a loss. It's almost like a casino. It really is like a casino. The house always wins. In the music business, you may get a little, you may win a hand here or there, but trust me, the house always wins. All right, I'm going to get off that for a second. I want to talk. We, we talked a couple episodes ago about Lady A changing their name. And I took some shit for that episode. I swear to God, I get, I get so tired every time you, I, I'll say I, it's my podcast. Every time I try to see both sides of a subject, I get called a racist. Every, every fucking time, every time by people that, have, that don't know me. And if they knew me, they'd know I'm the furthest thing from a racist. But I did the episode about Lady A and I talked and, and people got mad at me for, for even bringing that up and, and talking about it. And that I didn't agree because I didn't agree 100 percent with with Lady Annabellum changing their name to Lady A, even though if the A still stood for Annabellum, this is the dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard in my life. Um, took some shit for that. That's fine. You guys, it's the real raw truth. No bullshit. The Dixie Chicks have now done it. They have dropped Dixie from their name and are now just the Chicks. Well, I got two thoughts on that. One, 
That's that's the second stupidest thing I've ever heard of. Nobody gives a shit. Why? Because the Dixie Chicks aren't even relevant. They're not even relevant. But again, just like Lady Anna, at least Lady Annabellum, you could argue is relevant. The Dixie Chicks are not relevant and they haven't been relevant in a number of years. So this is just they, they do have a new record. And they, they put off the release of the new record because of covid. But this is a publicity stunt. Just nothing more than a publicity stunt to try to get in on the conversation of the day. To create headlines, to get people talking about the Dixie Chicks, or I guess as we're supposed to call them now, just the Chicks. But I also had another thought. Where are all the feminists? Because is it not derogatory to call a female a chick? Now, I mean, we're not supposed to do that, right? So if you're appeasing Black Lives Matter and you're appeasing that whole movement by removing any connotation whatsoever of the South being Dixie, if you're removing that from your name, isn't what's remaining of your name, isn't that degrading to women? Or is the fact that you think that maybe the Black Lives Matter thing is the hot topic of the moment that will let the the condensation uh, the condensation uh, of talking about and referring to women as chicks will let that slide? And I swear, the more and more I get into this political stuff, the the more and more I, I love talking about it because I think it deserves and needs to be talked about. There are two sides to every single story. But the more I talk about it and the more I get into it and the more I'm on social media, I, in all honesty, consider every day it's like I wish more than anything that we just didn't have social media anymore. I would love not to have to get on Instagram. I'd love not to have to get on Facebook. I'm so sick of there being a a line in the sand. There is no gray area. There is no room for understanding each other. There's no room for conversation. It's either you believe the exact same thing we believe or you are 100% wrong. When the fact of the matter is none of us are 100% right, none of us are 100% wrong. I even had people get mad at me and send me messages on Instagram, send me emails and talk about how horrible I was. Because I mentioned in the last episode of the podcast that our rights as Americans and as U.S. citizens, our Constitution affords us the right to offend people. It affords us just as much the right to be offended as it does to offend other people. And that somehow offends people. I'm all for you standing up for what you believe in. But I swear to God, we are witnessing the pussification of America. I'm getting sick of it. I'm getting tired of not being able to feel and express my freedoms, to use my freedom of religion, to use my freedom of speech, to say and believe what I want to believe because it might offend you. And in the world we're trying to make this right now, we have people out there that want to remove that freedom. They want to use the exact same freedom to remove your freedom because they don't believe that you exercise your freedom the way that you should. Now, if that's not the most convoluted, dumbest thing ever, how do you even get that in your mind? How do you even 
constitute that or justify that in your own mind that you are trying to use the very freedom that I'm using to take mine away. Everything's getting political. If you wear a mask, then you're a fucking liberal. If you don't wear a mask, then you're a conservative. You're a a Republican. When to me, it has nothing to do with that. But we let the dumbest voices in the room speak the loudest. And then unfortunately, 85% of people are just fucking sheep. They are looking for a shepherd to follow. And the loudest voices in the room are turning into the shepherds. Meanwhile, the loudest voices in the room are the most divisive, racial, hate-filled speech, hate-mongerers in the world. And those are the people that we're allowing to set the tone. Those are the people we are allowing to draw that line in the sand. You may not agree with or believe what I believe, but fuck you, it's my right. I may have belief systems that you think are racist. I don't know, unless you knew me, and if you don't know me, you would know that I have absolutely none of those. But even if I did, it is my goddamn right to have it. The same way it is your right to not have it. I'm getting off on a tangent and I didn't mean to do that. But I I get really sick and tired of the emails and the messages of people that just get outraged by people exercising the rights that they have. They don't want you to have the rights that they have. They Again, I'm going to say it again. They want to use the same rights that you have to keep you from using yours. And we're slowly but surely getting to a point where it's only going to be okay to express your freedoms if you are expressing them in a way that lines up with what the majority thinks. That's not living in a free country, ladies and gentlemen. I'm sorry. You have the freedom to offend other people by your speech. You have the right to be insensitive. You have just as much of a right to do that as the people do that have a right to be offended by what you say or find the things that you say to be insensitive. I'm sick of the the political correctness. I'm not right. I'm not left. I am right where most people are, right down the middle. My views, my beliefs, and the way in which I choose to exercise my rights are a reflection of how I live my life in which is best for me and my family and my immediate surroundings. They do not have to align 100% with what you want to push and the agenda that you want to move to the front. They do not have to align with that in order for me to feel okay about exercising my freedoms. In the country that that many people have fought and died to protect, they fought and died and continue to fight for both of us to have our views, for both sides to have the right to be vocal about the way they believe and the way that they feel. They did not fight and die to keep either side from exercising their rights. Because that is the antithesis of everything this country has ever stood for. So I'll leave that there. 
and let you guys cuss and discuss. Because I, I know I went into it deeper than I wanted to. So I'm going to get messages. I'm going to get emails, but that's all right. But I want to thank you guys for being here for another episode of the Steve Freeman podcast. Coming up, uh, we've got uh, a really cool guest. I'm looking forward to it. You guys are going to love this episode. Uh, Seattle Seahawks tight end Jacob Hollister will be our guest. We're going to talk football. We're going to talk about getting back to normal. Uh, We're going to talk about music and songwriting. It's going to be a great episode, and I hope you will enjoy it. Also, don't forget, the Steve Freeman Podcast merch store is live. It's up. Go get you a t-shirt. Go get you a tank top. Get you a hat. Get you a coffee mug. It's all right there inside the store. You can find the link in the show notes where you can find the link to Performance Inspired Nutrition, the Artist Development Academy, anything we've talked about, the merch store, everything else. You can find it in the show notes of this episode. Don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. If you're on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, leave us a written review and leave us those five stars. If you'd like to join my inner circle, it's simple to do. Go to thestevefreeman.com and sign up. Guys, until the next episode, keep being creative. Keep pressing the boundaries, and there's nothing wrong with being independent. See you in the next episode. Thanks for joining us for the Steve Freeman Podcast. Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow Steve on social media at, at the Steve Freeman.